0: Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I am delighted to be joined by a disrupting health platform, Dr. Care Anywhere, the co-founder, Veiju Thakar. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Elise.
0: Let's start by explaining more about what the company does.
1: Yeah, sure. Dr. Care Anywhere is a digital healthcare company. I mean, contextually, what we do in its simplest form is we provide access to great doctors on our proprietary platform to millions of people in different countries around the world so that people have swift access to great healthcare using technology. And we've been doing that now for about seven years. I'm a medical doctor by background and I've been in healthcare for over, I guess, 22 years. And uh, what I wanted to do, having been in healthcare for so long, is... Really just be honest and address the fact that it isn't as good as it should be. Right? Access to high quality health care is not equal and it's not fair. And, you know, the system is very, very fragmented and not joined up. Everyone knows that, right? Primary care is split from secondary care and you get passed around from pillar to post and we don't have data and there's paperwork everywhere. So what we wanted to do was build a platform where everything could be in one place for someone and you could access great care and speak to the doctors you wanted to speak to via video or phone. And that's what we built.
0: Fantastic. And can you talk about who are some of those customers or if you've got any customer numbers you're willing to share?
1: Yeah, sure. So the way we go to market is generally through channel partners. So we serve some of the largest insurance firms in the world, actually. So, for example, in the UK, we serve AXA, which is the second largest health insurer in the UK, but one of the largest ones in the world. And we cover more than 2 million of their patients. And we we conduct north of 40,000 consultations a month as a result of that relationship. We also serve Allianz, the big German insurer across Europe. We serve big hospital groups like Nuffields across the UK. And we, we serve retail pharmacists like uh, Boots from Walgreens Alliance in Ireland, where we recently entered that market. And of course, we entered the Australian market recently, where we work with the third, I think, largest insurer, HCF, um, <laughs> who've been a fantastic, fantastic partner for our new asset, which is Psych2U, providing mental health services in Australia, which is really exciting.
0: Great to hear. And can you talk to us about how does that, from an investment standpoint, the pricing model work?
1: Yeah, so the way, the way it gets priced is actually the end in the UK, the patient or, if you like, the consumer doesn't pay. It's paid by the insurer. And so, it, so there's no out-of-pocket expense. And then the insurer pays us. And we actually make money, not just from the consultation, but as I said, we've used our platform to join up primary care and secondary care. So, at least if you were using my service, for example, let's say you went for a run and you hate your knee, right? Yep. You would, if you'd be at home, you could open up the app, pick a time slot you want to speak to a doctor. You'd be sitting there, maybe with some ice on your knee, if you've heard it or something, and you'd do a video consultation. And then our doctor would be able to order some tests for you on the platform. So, they wouldn't need to send you to an orthopedic surgeon or anything. They'd just say, Go and have the tests that you need to have. Those tests would go into the cloud on our platform. Our specialists would review those and then be able to provide you with an ongoing management plan. So we've taken out all those unnecessary trips and steps, put it all onto one platform, and we get paid for every step of that journey. Mm -hmm. And that's also saving the insurer a significant amount of money. In fact, up to 20% in claims costs is coming out as a result of our much more efficient use of our platform and the pathways we do for patients and it's much quicker and easier for the patient so it's a true win-win we're making money the patient gets treated faster and the insurer is saving money.
0: You chose the right analogy there me running as well so (laughs) that's a great point about that cost saving there is that your go-to-market strategy to align yourself with the health insurers?
1: For health insurers I mean there's two things we think about with any channel partner what we think about is how are we going to materially impact their economics and how are we materially going to change their market share or influence their customer experience if you're not doing any of those three things what's the point point? and in healthcare fundamentally for me it's like am i improving the clinical outcomes of the patient first and foremost right am i making the lives of the doctors so much easier to do the job they want to do and are we making it way cheaper because there is so much inefficiency in the system the way we think about our proposition is always to be doing those things absolutely brilliant patient experience absolutely brilliant doctor experience And there is so much waste in the system. Take that money out of the system uh, so it's affordable for more people.
0: That's what we like to hear. And can you talk to me more about the industry as a whole? Have you tried to size what your target market opportunity and how it's growing?
1: I mean, digital health is, I mean, I would say this, wouldn't I, but it's massive. (laughs) You know, it is. If you just look in the UK where we are, where our major set of operations are. So, you know, in the 2.4 odd million patients that we cover there, That market size where we are now, we're only about two or three percent of what we could capture within our book already. So there's at least a billion of revenue just from in the UK digital health market, and it's still growing, right? And that doesn't take into account what we could do in Australia with mental health, what we could do in Ireland, and of course we have other plans to expand services and into other countries. So it is really, really big growing market, and we're just scratching the surface.
0: And then what is driving that growth and uptake? Is it friction points? Have you seen any changes as well with COVID?
1: Yeah, so in the UK, and it's quite country by country specific. So I pick up on UK and Australia. In the, in the UK, the big problem here is wait times. So to get a GP appointment in the UK, you have to wait three or four weeks in a lot of parts in the country. Wow. So with our service, you're waiting three or four or five hours, right? So the driver is very, very significant. as a big need. And if you're waiting three or four weeks and you're ill, that's not exactly great, right? And that's only getting worse. And COVID made that worse. The adoption of digital health in the UK actually preceded COVID. The structural pressures were way before COVID. COVID exacerbated them a lot more. Whereas in Australia, you probably don't have the same wait times for GPs. And, you know, you've got a pretty good health system. Where we're really focusing in, in Australia is mental health and particularly mental health needs in rural and regional areas. And what we want to do there is be able to provide access to psychologists and psychiatrists in those regional rural areas and support the GP practices with that capacity. And that's where we think the real opportunity to make a difference to patient care is in, in the Australian market.
0: Fantastic. That's exciting. And then let's talk about the competitive landscape. So it'll be different in each of the markets that you're in. So perhaps start with the UK and then bring it back home about who do you see as your competitors? And if you, there's any listed stocks, we always love that from an analyst side to be able to get a comp set.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in the UK, it's interesting how we think about competition because there's direct competition and indirect competition. And that's what alternative does the patient have? So the alternative in the UK is you could go to the NHS, but you've got a three or four week wait time. Or if you're accessing a service through an insurer, like the way you would do with us, it's the other insurers you might go to. So Bupa is the other major real player in the UK from Exit. And Bupa use Babylon at the moment. Which has recently done its um SPAC in the US. But Babylon is very focused on the US at the moment. But they're probably known as the major competitor. And there are a couple of others called Livy and Square Health in the UK. And they're doing quite a lot of work in the NHS trying to provide consultations there. So from what we understand, we're actually doing more private virtual GP consultations than anyone else in the UK at the moment. So we've taken that number one spot in the UK. In Australia, it's very nascent, as you know, there's lots and lots of small players but no standout player. And frankly, one of the reasons, you know, the countries we we want to work in, we think we can be the number one player in those countries and and be the scale player. So uh, exciting times.
0: Absolutely. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioned there are quite a few players. Do you think it's a winner-takes-all market? Do you think there's an advantage in being first? Or do you think it's a healthy oligopoly?
1: (laughs) I think in these markets, there's always going to be more than one player who wins, but I don't think many players. And the reason I think that is that scale is so important in healthcare and to benefit from an operational leverage or economies of scale perspective, which you do need, I suspect you'll see two or three standout players within each of the areas people want to focus on. right? And that is where we are in the UK. And what that does, once you have that scale, of course, it allows you to add on new services because you have the trust of your channel partners and your trust of your patients and you have the capacity i.e. the clinicians to do more so it is a bit of a fast run and scale is important but not at the dilution of quality at the end of the day we're still providing clinical care to people and that is what fundamentally matters most right you've got to take care of your patients and you've got to take care of your doctors if you don't do those two things you know mm-hmm. what's the point?
0: and how do you differentiate yourself to some of the other players that are there
1: yeah I mentioned to you how we joined up primary care and diagnostics and secondary care. We're the only people, certainly in the UK, who've proven that we can join that up through a national diagnostic network and create those huge cost savings. Generally, what you see at the moment is people who have gone, will provide virtual GP consults, so via video or phone. What we've actually done is built and continue to build a health system. that's much broader than that. So we have GPs, we have triage nurses, we have pharmacists, we have specialists, and we're doing diagnostics on the platform to create that much bigger offering for our insurance partners or indeed the work we're doing with Nuffield is in the UK, big hospital group, is joining up our virtual services with their in-person services so you have an online and offline service, right? Not everything can be done virtually but with that model we can then provide everything to the patient. So again, you know, you might be using our service and I think actually at I'd quite like you to see someone in person. I can sort that out for you and it'll still be on one single patient record, one platform, and I'll still be done the same day, which is you know, the type of service that people expect. How
0: easy is it for me if I wanted to start my own business to replicate that?
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's pretty difficult for lots of reasons. So, Great, um, I'm
0: an investor <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, the barriers to entry uh, tend to be the capital to actually build these platforms. It's not Zoom for doctors. So mm-hmm. people have started off that way. And then they quickly realise that there's all sorts of issues with that, i.e. I don't have the patient's record. I'm not collecting the right information. There's privacy issues. There's data issues. I'm not integrated into the rest of the health system. You have to do all those things and then actually create an ecosystem. That takes a lot of investment and work. There's all the regulatory wrappers around that, which make it quite difficult to get into. And of course, then you've got to work with an awful lot of clinicians and manage to match demand and supply. And of course the way to your point, the way the you know, market is structured, there are a few big insurance players in the UK who have that private market and they've been taken up. So in the UK, it'd be very hard now for new entrants to move us out of the way.
0: Mm, you can definitely see those dynamics at play. Now let's move on to some of the economics of a business. So in your startup phase, there's a lot of spending. But I'm curious to know, where is that spend going? Is it more the R&D side or given the relationships that you're trying to build and the awareness, is it more sales and marketing? And how do you think about those next phases of investment?
1: Mm. So as we've been building the business, the investment has been going, one, into the platform, right, and making sure we could do all those things that I just mentioned and the end-to-end journey for the patient, a robust patient record and so on. And clearly there's a huge amount around Building a team, so the customer services team, the patient experience teams, bringing and recruiting on the doctors to meet the demand that's been coming through. When you think, you know, 40,000 consults a month is not a small amount of consults to be doing. So the investment in operations, the investment in driving growth is mainly through activation. So, as I mentioned, we get our patients through channel partners, insurers. And what we do there is about how you activate someone's accounts. You know, if you've got insurance policies, you would get an email from us encouraging you to activate your account. We know when you activate it, you're likely to use it. When you use it, that's when we start getting paid and you use it more and more. And we're seeing that repeat usage. So there's quite a lot of ongoing investment into that. And going forward, we'll continue to invest in that because we've got you know half a million odd activated lives and we've still got you know a million and a half more we could activate for more already contracted books. So loads of growth just within the contracted chapter level. At the second level of future investment going forward, I mentioned those diagnostic pathways that we do. We cover about eight specialties with many processes and algorithms that help the GP order the right tests. We want to see more and more of that because that's what's driving the cost savings for the insurers. we investing in that, investing in our online, offline proposition with Nuffield. But as we go to the future future, when you think about what we've created is a marketplace, we've got lots of clinicians and lots of patients. And where digital health is going to be really interesting, I think, is around the digital therapeutic space. So if you're using my platform, what digital tools can I provide for you that would make you better, keep you well? Mental health tools, for example, that are really low cost and would be very high margin for us and good for the patient and drive outcomes. When you've got the patients and clinicians, you're able to prescribe those tools, right? You're able to collect the data to prove that they work. And that's where the future is going to be in these marketplaces, is we can drive a little bit like the App Store, all the digital tools that are being created because I've got the patients and doctors in the cloud. So for me, the future is very exciting.
0: That is a great segue for me to go and ask. Strategies for growth, I can envision it. But if I have to say in the next 12 months, where does your bank the buck Is it global expansion? Is it more verticals? Is it more customers?
1: Yeah. So in the next 12 months, I mean, specifically, as we've got a number of channel partners now, AXA being a huge one, but Nuffield and Boots and HF in Australia, where we can really work with them to give the best benefits we can to their members. So that's going to be really priority number one. And driving those diagnostic referrals in the UK, absolutely. I think from a capability point of view, we want to start thinking about as we should be how do we become really smart in the use of our of our workforce so you know at least for example do you always need a 20-minute consult or do you need a three-minute consult or can i just provide you with your medication without having a consult right and when you can be smarter like that it's better for the patient and you can expand your capacity and get some more scale so that's what we're going to be thinking about there we've just entered australia right so you know there's lots of work there to do and i really want to build good foundations to Really become the number one virtual mental health player there and build a reputation for great clinical outcomes in that space. It should be the aspiration. And then, you know, we'll keep our eye out for other international opportunities. And of course, I'll let the market know when, when we find them.
0: Fantastic. Great clinical outcomes, but I do like the thought of three-minute outcome because sometimes I do feel <laughs> as though you spend an hour waiting and it's a three-minute appointment. So absolutely glad you're in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the M&A side, we asked this question to all our businesses, what's your appetite for M&A? Or you sound like you've got enough going on at the moment. Yeah, we've
1: got a huge amount going on. And obviously, we've completed our first M&A transaction with Psych2U and gp 2 in Australia. But it's something we always keep our eyes open for. I think there'll be quite a lot of consolidation in the space. And like the more scale we have, and obviously as a listed business, when the opportunity presents, you know, we should be able to use our currency to buy these businesses. The way I think about it is, am I buying capability that's going to significantly improve either the clinical outcome or our economics? Or am I buying scale? And they're the two things that I'll be looking for in those countries. Do they have lots of patients or lots of clinicians? Or do they have unique capability that would really drive the economics of our service?
0: definitely area that's ripe for disruption so thank you once again disrupting health platform doctor care anywhere co-founder beige the car can't wait to see what you do over the next couple of months let alone years
1: (laughs) thanks very much Denise appreciate your time